Every October, we take one Sunday to just zero in on different matters about uh, the family, and especially in our day and age in which we live, that's a very important thing. Every other year, we do a seminar, but this year, we're just taking our series that we're in and uh, emphasizing some aspects of it. And so, as we're looking at the tremendous uh, attributes of our God, the I Am, the one who wants to know us, to have a covenant relationship with us. One of the most precious aspects of our God is the fatherhood of God, our heavenly Father. A godly, young, successful attorney said, the greatest gift I ever received was a gift I got one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box, and inside was a note saying, Son, this year I will give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. We'll go where you want to go, play what you want to play. It will be your hour. Well, the man said, my dad not only kept his promise, but every year he renewed it, and it's the greatest gift I have ever had in my life. I am a result of his time. Well, frankly, when you hear that illustration, and I've given that before, it... Uh, it really stirs you. That's really quite an amazing thing. But folks, that's very minimal when it comes to a comparison to our Heavenly Father. The promises that He makes us are just glorious. And as much as a father devoted to his children makes all the difference in their lives, a father, our Heavenly Father is devoted to His children, and if we allow Him it will make a great deal of difference in our lives. When Henry Norris Russell, the Princeton astronomer, had lectured on the Milky Way, a lady came up to him and said, if our world is so little and the universe is so great, can we believe that God pays any attention to us? And Dr. Russell replied the, the very well-known uh, answer, that depends, madam, entirely on how big a God you believe in. <laughs> well, we believe in the God of the Bible. And my friends, when we talk about Him being our Heavenly Father, it has enormous meaning to us. Instead of looking at this topically this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 here this morning, we're actually going to look at one passage because it's a beautiful exposition by the Lord Jesus about our Heavenly Father very practical, and that's really what I want to do today is to apply this wonderful truth in a, in a very practical manner because that then helps us understand the great doctrine of God being our Father. This is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount as the Lord begins His ministry officially, lays down groundwork that is so key, and this is very important you got to realize in the Sermon on the Mount, for him to spend this amount of time on this one subject is, is very significant. And we need to understand in our, in our lives, we have a secular world right now that is uh, doing everything it can to destroy a biblical view of the family. Uh, it's a very serious, serious day in which we live. Satan knows that if he can destroy the basic family unit as God describes it, then that culture will begin to crumble and he will be able to uh, do what he wants in that, crumble, in that, in that crumbled uh, society like he has done throughout history. 
And we uh, today must very strongly understand the biblical teaching about the creation of a man and a woman and what children mean to God and to the family. And we need to have the right perspective. And so in this message on our Heavenly Father, I'm going to end with just a practical application in regard to some key things that can help us strengthen the family in a very, very difficult day. Well, let's look first of all at the care of the Father, the care of the Father. Look with me at verse 26. So actually, uh, we'll uh, go back to verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So that's in this context here. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for, what your, for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. It's a very tender passage, a very personal passage from the Lord Jesus himself, God Almighty. And here we see the heart of the Father, his care for us. We see, and we'll take just a moment to look at this, but I think it's very important because he takes quite a bit of time, the care for his creation. His creation uh, is taken care uh, by him. Uh, and so they don't worry about basic needs. God has so created them and so uh, allowed them to function under his care that uh, the basic needs of his creatures are met. Let me just say one thing right here, and this is not the subject of my uh, message, but these kind of things we can, it's good to point out. I want you to notice the balance here. Does God value the animal kingdom? Yes, he does. But is there a difference between the human race and the animal kingdom according to this passage? If you look with me at... Uh, at verse uh, 26, the last part, are ye not much better than they? So this little passage helps you with all the modern thinking out there to realize, yes, on the one side, we certainly are totally opposed to cruelty to animals and that type of thing. And yet God gave the animal kingdom to Adam uh, for him to supervise and to meet his needs and so forth. The Bible makes that clear throughout Scripture. And so uh, there should be respect, but on the other hand, we are made in the image of God, and no other part of creation is made in the image of God. So that's very important for a lot of philosophies today, and I'll stop right there. That would take an entire message, but this passage just screams out at you on that, so I just thought I would uh, throw that in. But look at the wonderful care. Luke 12, 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for tooth farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Isn't that amazing? 
You know, you see a lot of sparrows flying in and out of a barn or something, and you really don't take much note on them, about them. Uh, they're certainly not beautiful. Uh, but God knows each one of them. I am only a little sparrow, a bird of low degree. My life is of little value, but the dear Lord cares for me. He gave me a coat of feathers, tis very plain I know, with never a speck of crimson, for it was not made for show. But it keeps me warm in the winter, it shields me from the rain, were it bordered with gold and purple, perhaps it would make me vain. I have no barn or storehouse, I never sow nor reap. God gives me a sparrow's portion, but never a seed to keep. If my meat is sometimes scanty, close picking makes it sweet. I have always enough to keep me, and life is more than meat. I know there are many sparrows, all over the world they're found, but our Heavenly Father knoweth when one of us falls to the ground. Though small, we are never forgotten. Though weak, we are never afraid. For we know that the dear Lord keepeth the lives of the creatures He made. I fly through the thickest forest, I light on many a spray. I have no chart or compass, but I never lose my way. I just read that poem, I don't normally do that, but just that simple little poem gives, I think, the essence of the heart that God has for his creation. Have you noticed that uh, all the animal kingdom, they just do what God tells them to do? I'm sure the angels shake their head at the, at the human race. I'm telling you, we're a mess. I'm sure sometimes the animal kingdom, what is wrong with that, those creatures? Don't they know what God wants? But God does take care of us. And then, based upon that, we can be uh, fully guaranteed that he has care for his children. Our food, drink, and raiment. Um, you notice in verse, back in verse 25, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? And then he goes on and, and talks about how he takes care of both the animal kingdom and the flowers in the field, and how beautiful they are. And, uh, and God will take care of us. Philippians 4.19, we often quote, and it's in the matter of the material aspects of our lives, for, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, this is important that we understand this. Now, most of us had parents that made sure we had what we needed but they certainly did not give us all that we wanted. Is that correct? Uh, and oh my, how frustrating that was. I have six children and rearing six children, I realized as much as a father's heart wanted to give them everything that they wanted, it would ruin them that if they did or it would put them in danger. So many a time I would have to say no, especially down the cereal aisle in the grocery store uh, or places like that. Uh, especially if mom was looking on. That definitely added to the nose. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we, have to, we have to do that. But what he's saying is everything that you really need, he'll take care of you. The problem with us as Americans, we have upped our need meter. You know, um, in fact, um, 100 years ago, it was figured that the average American only had seven wants. And now a survey was recently taken that his grandson wants, uh, and great-grandchildren want uh, at least 500 things. And that's certainly, certainly the truth. Um, 
Uh, J. Paul Getty, as you know, was one of the richest men in the world. He was asked what the single thing he would change if he had the power. And he said, I'd change philosophy. People should be more content. The way to cure, cure discontent is not necessarily to get more. The old cliche about money not buying happiness certainly is true. Well, if anybody ought to know that, he should. Um, and so God knows uh, every need that we have. Luke 12, 7, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Every aspect, God knows our need. And God is very much focused on us. The poet uh, T.E. Brown writes of a lighthouse off the calf of man. And from the shore there, a long slope runs off to the crest of the island. Near the top of the slope are the cottages inhabited by the families of the lighthouse keepers, their doors opening directly toward the lighthouse, which was out on a rock, which was separated from the mainland by a stretch of stormy sea. For months at a time, the keepers could not visit their families. But on a clear Sunday, when the sun was shining brightly, they solaced themselves by looking through a powerful telescope at their wives and children gathered in front of the cottage doors. And uh, you look at the heart yearning of those fathers. But you know, do we not think of our Heavenly Father way up there looking at us through a telescope? Oh yes, we know that he has a benevolent heart and just like these fathers are yearning to be with their children and uh, our, that warms our heart. But our Heavenly Father, God Almighty is with us. He is in us when we know him as Savior. And so he knows every little need. He knows everything that is legitimate that we have need of in our lives and we can absolutely rest in that. Uh, a pastor writes about how he made sure that his staff knew that if ever his family needed him, they could always get through to him. That was the policy that I had also. You know, folks, we can always get through to our Heavenly Father. You don't have to go through a bunch of secretaries. You can go directly to the throne of grace. Number two, the character of the Father. Look with me down at verse 30. Wherefore, all right, here's the conclusion of this. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we have need of. And He consistently feeds and takes care of His creation. We often think of the absolute faithfulness of our God. We quote over and over uh, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the character of our God. And He is, he is absolutely consistent in taking care of us. His character is, uh, is so wonderful. You, you don't have to worry. Now, the one thing I want to say is, I mentioned that he takes care of every need. Many times in, in meeting our needs, or sometimes seemingly not meeting our needs, which are actually wants at times, 
The Heavenly Father is doing a wonderful purging as, sec, as John chapter 15 talks about where the husbandman lifts up the, the vine branches so that they can bear fruit. And he purges us so we can bear more fruit. And so we must have an understanding, and we're going to see in a minute, that there is a condition to this care. He'll always take care of us, but for us to understand and benefit from the care, we need to realize there is a bigger picture rather than him just taking care of our needs. Fathers and mothers take care of the need of their children, not just to keep them alive. Now, is keeping them alive a good thing? Uh, absolutely. They can, uh, it's tragic otherwise. But that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is we want our children to grow, develop, and to be all that God wants them to be. And so there are a lot of aspects of meeting needs and holding back things and teaching that go on so that that child can be all that God wants them to be. And so all of this wonderful care for us, folks, is far more than just the care to keep us alive. Aren't you glad that's not just it with the Lord? I mean, when he is working, he's working intricately. All things work together for good. God is working out his purpose in our life. And so he is trustworthy. He will faithfully take care of us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. We just saying, great is thy faithfulness by Thomas Chisholm. He was born in a log cabin like Lincoln did uh, in Kentucky. And uh, when he got converted, uh, he went through a lot, but he found out that God was so faithful and came across that in Lamentations chapter 3. And he wrote, great is thy faithfulness. And in a, an evangelistic crusade, George Beverly Shea had made this song very popular. And another man heard it, and a flood of memories coursed through his mind when he went through World War II about how many times God answered his prayers. He, he knew the Lord. And he said, when all was hopeless, God proved his faithfulness to me. God is trustworthy. Friends, he never, never, never forgets you. See, our problem is we honestly, we know it here, but we don't know it really deep in our heart. If we understood God knows exactly what we need, He is very aware of us, He cherishes us, He is working for our good. If He doesn't miss a sparrow, He is certainly, the Lord Jesus uh, says, that He's not going to forget us. He knows our inwardmost heartache better than we know it. He can interpret it better. And so he is moving, actually, the heavens and the earth for each individual believer. And for those that aren't saved, he's endeavoring to get them to come to the Lord. That's an amazing thing. When you talk about the sovereignty of God, which we'll touch on later, uh, it's just magnificent when you think of the wisdom of the work of God on our behalf. Already, today, God has been working for your good. You're not left alone. You're not in a vacuum. God is working for your good. He is faithful. You can count on it. The Bible says so. And so we need to realize that uh, 
that we can trust him. And how does the Lord end that in verse 30? If we do worry and if we are anxious and we question God, look at the last part of verse 30. O ye of little faith. Don't take thought. God will take care of you. Let's go now to the concern of the Father, verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. The world is consumed by earthly matters. And you know, they, they are, as the Gentiles seek, they're looking for something to make them happy, for purpose in life, uh, material things, just uh, surviving. You, go, you just look sometimes, stop and look at the world. They're in an active frenzy all the time to do something. But for us as believers, we're going to be just like the world if we're consumed with the things of this world or filled with worry. And we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, 2 says, not conformed, pressed into its mold. Sir Robert Ball, the great astronomer, said that a man who carries a sack of corn on earth could as easily carry six sacks of corn on the globe the size of a moon. But in a world as vast as the sun, even to pull out a watch from the pocket would be to tug at a weight of five or six pounds. It would be impossible to lift an arm, and if a man were to lie down, he would never get up. So in the spiritual realm, the weight of our burdens depends on the attraction of the earth. The more gravity, the bigger the earth is to us, the less you can move. In fact, you really can't move spiritually at all. And so we've got to understand that uh, our Heavenly Father knoweth that we have need of these things. We can trust Him completely. Our Father is consumed with our needs. Let's not be like the world consumed by earthly matters. I love 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves therefore in the sight of the Lord that he may exalt you in due time. That's the key of really trusting him by being humble, not looking to ourselves. But note verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful uh, picture. Take the burden off of you and place it back on your heavenly Father. For he careth for you. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how many things we trust, but we don't trust God. Gentlemen, you trust that your, husband, your wife's not going to poison you the next meal that you have. You're going to eat it without worry. I hope that's true with everybody here. Um, uh, you, this, uh, I thought about this after I wrote this down. You uh, receive your paper money and, and accept it as being legitimate, <laughs> It may not be much longer, but anyway, uh, there's a lot of things. You buy a can of corn at the grocery store and expect there to be corn in there, right? And, uh, and, and you have faith, but we can't believe God. We can't believe God's word. Right now, you just may be weighed down, just really weighed down. Why don't you take that burden and roll it onto Christ? Roll it onto your heavenly Father. 
He wants to take that burden. He knows how to help you. He knows how to solve those problems. He understands your needs. He can arrange situations. When you walk with him and you are dependent upon him, it's amazing how all of a sudden a genuine spiritual spring comes into your step. But there is a condition, number four, given by the Father. And a very well-known verse, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God's kingdom must be a priority. The Lord's going to always take care of us, but you will be aware of that, and God will take the pressure off, and you can trust him, and you can have that peace in your heart, and you can have the fullness of joy when the priority <coughs> is the furtherance of the, the spiritual kingdom that God wants to see come. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Lord told us to pray that way. And so uh, the Lord Jesus uh, um, should have the preeminence. The Heavenly Father should have the preeminence. And we need to uh, be broken of self-will so that we are really trusting him and all of these things i love uh, uh, if we seek his righteousness in other words to to be like christ uh, and first uh, timothy six ten is a great uh, warning about this for the love of money is the root of all evil which some while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows but thou o man of god flee these things and follow after righteousness Notice the contrast between the things of this world and righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. It's not our righteousness, it's the Lord's righteousness. And uh, God wants to do a mighty work in our life. Well, let me just apply this here. The challenge for earthly fathers, for earthly parents, as we think about the, as we think about our Heavenly Father. Just a couple of thoughts. First of all, love like the Heavenly Father does His own children. Uh, isn't that a beautiful picture here, how He takes care of the sparrows, the flowers in the field, knows every one of them, doesn't miss a hair on the head of any one of us. He knows our needs before we know our needs. He knows what's best for us. Well, we have God's wisdom and we've got his power to be able to do the same for our own families. Proverbs uh, 23, 24, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways." Uh, God, God will bless a righteous father and mother uh, if we will love them. And just give quickly here, as I was mentioned in the opening illustration, aren't you glad the Heavenly Father, we can go to Him at any time and He's willing to give us His time? That's an amazing thing. And how it is important for us if we're going to love our children and keep our family strong, that we spend time together. This busy world destroys the, the supper table. Just this last week in the Wall Street Journal, uh, I heard about it a few days ago, 
uh, came an article about the thing that has really caused the emotional problems of this generation is that the family dinner table is gone. That's, uh, that's amazing from the Wall Street Journal, uh, but that is absolutely true. In the Ladies' Home Journal some years back, an article I reared a criminal. We loved him, but his father was too busy to be with him when he was young. I couldn't bring myself to punish him for misbehavior. We sided against his teachers when they complained about his work and conduct in school. As he grew up, he would hardly discuss the time of day with us. He was expelled from school. We gave him money so he wouldn't steal again. I wept when the police called, and I had to turn my boy over to them. As I watched them search him, my life seemed to end. Fortunately, that's all too common in today's world. But for us as believers, we've got God on our side. We have the Heavenly Father who will enable us to be the right kind of parents. We need to be open and honest and communicate our hearts. So often I've said, if you want your child's heart, you have to give them your heart. They've got to know you as a person. They've got to understand you. They've got to feel that you believe they're as important as uh, anybody in the world to them, that you'd give your life for them. And that open communication is absolutely vital. You need to share your inmost uh, thoughts, and you need to uh, solve the issues of their life, and it's going to be through discipline. It's going to be through working things out and teaching them how to overcome issues that are hard for them, but to work with them. Time and communication are absolutely vital. And we need to develop our children like the Heavenly Father does with us. A pastor vividly remembers a meeting in Illinois a number of years ago when his friend evangelist Gypsy Smith, quite a story about him, uh, was speaking. He was sitting next to him at a speaker's table for this event when suddenly just before as he rose to speak, he asked me to mark carefully his closing words. When the moment arrived, he lifted high his well-worn Bible. How many of you men can recall a saintly mother or a godly father who loved this book, read it, lived it, and seeped it into you? Practically the entire group. This was years ago, and that was far more common. With moist eyes raised their hands. Then quietly, Gypsy Smith swung home deftly this shaft. With all your influence today... How many of you are so living that your children will remember you for your faithfulness to this same book? <laughs> A very tense moment. No one raised their hand. That's what's happened generationally. I'm telling you, folks, the impressions on the life of little children of godly parents go on for a lifetime and go on generationally. And uh, this is, uh, we need, and this is also in the lives of people we're working with. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 2.10. Ye are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Exhorted, comforted, charged. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. And then in developing your children, we need to give encouragement and vision. Again, evangelist uh, Gypsy Smith told of leaving for a mission in Cambridge, and his aged father came over to see him. At the moment of the parting, 
He said, Daddy, will you present me at the throne of grace every day? The aged man uh, uh, said with twinkling eyes, No, my son, I did that years ago. I have never taken you away, but I'll keep you there. <laughs> Gypsy Smith said with an old saintly father like that behind me, the Lord's bound to do something. <laughs> and that's so true. I'm telling you, when we give ourselves to our children, we let the holy uh, wonderful God, uh, the Father, work through us in the lives of our children. And uh, how important it is that we are to them as the Heavenly Father. Now, folks, are you glad you have a Heavenly Father here this morning? If you're a believer in and a wonderful thing, honestly, would you just give that burden to Him right now? Would you just think about it? Some of you came in just weighed down. But that's not believing what he can do. Oh, rest in him. Believe that these things that I say are true, but seek first the kingdom of God. I'll tell you the problem is that we're seeking something else, not him and his purpose. And then fathers and mothers, if we'll seek the kingdom of God and we will do what the heavenly father does for us, our children will rest in our care and will know what a great God they have. And a generation that will serve the Lord will come in the middle of this secular, wicked, dark day and will come out even stronger than us if we'll walk with God. Let's bow for prayer.